Today on the Dominic Enyart Show, we're continuing to study the Trinity, and as we'll find out, since God is the creator of the universe and reality flows from God, much of reality itself is triune. I'm also going to be asking for your help as I think through a theory on the Trinity. Is it biblical? Well, I need your help. All of that and more today on the Dominic Enyart Show. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country and welcome to the Dominic Enyart Show. Today we are continuing with our look at the Trinity as we have covered already every single apostle, prophet, and man of God throughout the entire Bible came preaching about another, someone higher and more important and greater than they. Jeremiah did not come boasting in his own name. Moses did not preach about his own glory. His successor Joshua did not desire to be worship. Samuel did not come with the authority to forgive sins. David did not focus on himself as he wrote the Psalms. Every biblical author, prophet, apostle, disciple, you name it, they came focused on someone higher and greater than themselves. Jesus, on the other hand, he came preaching about himself. He was the center of his own message. He was focused even more on himself than he was on God the Father. Interestingly enough, as we saw, the Old Testament records various uh, uses of the phrase, thus saith the Lord, 420 times. That phrase, however, does not appear once in the Gospels, not once. Rather, we see a dramatic transition right at the end of the Old Testament that stops immediately, the usage of that phrase, and then immediately we see Jesus Christ saying, I say unto you, in replacement of, thus saith the Lord. I say to you 135 times from Jesus, and so for all of biblical history, we have, thus saith the Lord, and then the second Jesus gets to the scene, I say unto you. These two phrases communicate the exact same concept, that God is speaking. And we've gone into much more detail on this in past videos. If you want to brush up on the Trinity, make sure to check out our Trinity playlist on the Dominic and your YouTube channel. Or if you have any friends who disagree, maybe they are Unitarians. Uh, if they disagree with the Trinity, feel free to send them there. Today, we are going to continue looking at the Trinity. The, at the Trinity. However, we're going to be doing something a little out of, out of the ordinary and presenting little pieces of evidence that are not exactly showstoppers, meaning that I would not necessarily present these pieces of evidence in a debate uh, where you have limited time to get across your message, because I don't think that these pieces of evidence that we will see today would be proof of the Trinity on their own. But since we already have gone through those showstoppers, those uh, biblical proof texts on the matter, and since we have already you know, shown the Trinity to be a biblical concept, I thought now would be a good time, not necessarily to say persuade a Unitarian, but to reinforce those of you who already are Trinitarians. And so the title of today's show is The Trinity, It Just Fits. 
And so we're going to be looking at so many things that we see in reality that in light of the Trinity, they just fit. And so there are many lessons that we can learn by studying the Trinity because reality flows from God studying the Trinity. It will teach us much about reality if the Trinity is true, if it is a biblical doctrine. Uh, because we are made in his image, studying the Trinity, it should allow us to learn about ourselves, and as we will see, it certainly does. As we saw yesterday, man and woman together, they serve as a reflection of God. We hear that from Christian theologians all the time, and one of the things that marriage teaches us about the Trinity, one man, one woman coming together is a union, that's marriage, the two become one. This gives, gives us a glimpse into the Trinity and how the Trinity works, whereas the union of man is that two persons form one union. The union of God is that three persons form one God. And now I would like to take some time today to work through on air a concept. Uh, to further this concept, it has been suggested by theologians that each member of the Trinity is made up of 100% and, for lack of a better term, is made up of 100% God material, and showing that there is nothing about them that is not God. There's nothing about the Holy Spirit that is not God. Each member of the Trinity is holy and completely God, yet these theologians, they still claim that you cannot remove one of the members of the Godhead and still have it be God. And so I've come up with a theory, and I'm by no means dogmatic about it. Um, and the Trinity, it's a very difficult to understand concept. And so this theory I've come up with is uh, that perhaps that we can think, what we think of as God is the relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. And so when we think of marriage, the concept of a marriage, we don't think of two specific people. We might know two people who are married, but when we think of the concept of marriage, uh, we think of it as a relationship between two people. Marriage is more than the sum of its members. It is the, just the idea of a relationship between one man and one woman. And if you have two people who are considering getting married, and then one of them backs out at the last second, but the other is still willing, the other still wants to get married. It's not that you have half of a marriage. You don't have half of a marriage. You have no marriage at all. And there can be no half of a relationship. A relationship either exists or it does not exist. And so with my theory that I'm working, working on here, so too with God, it seems God is greater than the sum of the three persons but that they have rather they have a synergy with one another and the synergy this relationship might just be what we consider god and now as i said this is my own personal theory and i'm by no means dogmatic about it i say it's my theory not to take credit but just to warn you that i'm not some master theologian who has had a direct revelation from god or anything like that i'm someone just like you just trying to better understand God. And I will say there is one potential problem with that this theory, which is that it seems the relationship between the Father and the Son 
was severed at the cross. It seems when the father, when he poured out his wrath on the son and Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, being translated as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he he died and went to Abraham's bosom for three days. It seems that that relationship between the father and the son was at least temporarily severed. Um, I don't know if the relationship actually was severed, but it, there definitely was a degree of separation. And now I'm I'm <laughs> being totally straightforward. I am being a little bit selfish with this show here. I'm working through a theory live on air, which is. Uh, which is never a good idea, but it's what I'm doing today. Typically, you should know what you're talking about before you present it to an audience. But for years, we have called our audience the brightest audience in the country. And for good reason, you guys are brilliant. And every time I have an interaction with one of our listeners, I always find myself thinking, man, why do our listeners not have shows of their own? They're all so smart. And so the brightest audience in the country, that's not a that's not just a joke, but it actually is true. And so today I'm being a, a little bit selfish because I want your feedback on this. And so I'm using my show to do so. And so I ask that you consider this theory and let me know your thoughts. If you don't know how to get get in touch with me, uh, just leave a comment on the YouTube episode for today's show. I will see that. Um, But I think it's possible, my theory is, I think it's possible that God, what we think of as God, the God of the Bible, is the relationship itself between the members of the Trinity. Just like how marriage is worth respecting, the relationship between the two is worth respecting, so too the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that may be worth worshiping, just that relationship. And so the Bible teaches us that the punishment for fornication should be you get married. And that's not too bad of a punishment, but then the punishment for adultery should be death. And so the disrespect of a relationship is so severe that it warrants death, according to the Bible. We are to respect the relationship perhaps even more than the individual's. That might just be the case with God. Now, if this is <laughs> if this is heresy, I apologize. I'm just thinking out loud, which is, which is probably not a great idea on air, but it's what I'm doing. And so I need some help with this one. And as I said, the one hurdle that I can't get over is that it seems that the Father and the Son, that they were separated by the cross. They were separated when Jesus was in Abraham's bosom. And now, I think... Uh, the reason that there was separation, and I know I mentioned Abraham's bosom, I know that's a controversial belief on its own, but I think uh, my, my reason for the separation, uh, why I, I think there, there was separation, it actually stems from a argument that I heard against Christianity that kind of forced me to consider this topic. And there was this popular YouTuber who goes against Christianity. His name is uh, Pine Creek. He's a YouTuber, anti-Christianity YouTuber. And one of his arguments, he presented this, and he he was saying this in a way to uh, degrade Christianity, to mock Christianity. And what he said is he said, Christianity requires a piece of meat, a piece of flesh to die and come back to life. 
And that is his own way of insulting Christ's body. And it's his own way of insulting the flesh of Christ. But it brings up an interesting point. Does all of Christianity rest on the physical body, the skins, the skin, the bones, and the muscles of Jesus dying and being brought back to life? Does all of, all of Christianity rest on the physical? And it does sound a little odd when you think of it that way. And so to answer that, I've always thought about how God, he told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die this day. And then, of course, they did not physically die during that 24-hour period, but they went on to live very long lives after that. And so it seems that God was illustrating that they would be separated from him and that that was a spiritual death. Being separated from God was a spiritual death. And in fact, when they eat of the fruit, they were kicked out of the garden on that very day. They were separated from God, and so they were spiritually dead, you could say. And so I've, I have always thought that when Christ, when he went to Abraham's bosom for three days and three nights, that he was actually separated from the Father. And so Christianity doesn't rest on Jesus' physical death, uh, but rather his spiritual death and his separation from the Father. I don't know if the stoppage of, say, cell division, if that uh, really matters all that much, it seems that Christ, when he was on the cross, he was much more concerned with his relationship between himself and the Father than he was with his own physical discomfort. And so obviously there was tremendous physical discomfort. The point of the cross was uh, the Romans, they invented the cross as a way of torturing criminals to death. And so there was extreme physical discomfort, yet what we hear is him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's concerned about his relationship with the Father, even in the midst of this physical discomfort. And so that does pose some problems with my theory here. Uh, were the Father and the Son, were they separated? If there was separate, separation, would that mean that the relationship was severed. Perhaps like a married couple, you know, a married couple, they might get in a fight and then the husband sleeps on a friend's couch for a few days or whatever. Um, that doesn't mean that they aren't married anymore. Uh, they're just not in contact. And not being in contact doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is gone. And it doesn't mean that the relationship shouldn't be respected anymore. Um, but this, these are all just things to consider with this theory. Perhaps if they... Uh, were separated, that would have severed the relationship. And if the relationship at any point was non-existent, according to my theory, that would mean that God would have been broken, which I don't feel comfortable believing. And so, as I said, this theory, I'm not dogmatic about it. I'm not sure about it. I'm not uh, professing to have some special revelation from God, but I'm just working through it. And so regardless, I'm being a bit selfish using my show to think through this idea out loud, which, as I said, perhaps is not the greatest idea. Uh, but I would like some feedback on this. And so I know some of our listeners, you know how to get a hold of me. Uh, but for those of you who don't, uh, just check out today's show on the Dominic and your YouTube channel and leave a comment there. I would appreciate that. Um, anyways, that, that's probably the longest tangent I've ever been on during this show. Um, but I, I would just, I wanted to get that idea out there, let it, 
uh, reverberate and get some feedback on that. But okay, to get back on topic. Um, all right, here. Uh, so point number one, marriage shows us that two persons can make up one entity, just like how the Trinity makes has three persons making up one entity, the one God. It just fits. Uh, the Trinity, it teaches us that authority does not entail, entail value. It just fits. The Father has authority over the Son, yet they are to be worshipped in the same manner. So the Trinity, it teaches us that authority and value are not the same. It just fits. The Trinity teaches us that submission does not entail denigration, but rather submission to proper authority will benefit us and exalt us. Like how Christ submits to the Father, we as humans, as Christians especially, we must submit to our leaders and to Christ. It just fits. The Trinity teaches us that we are relational creatures, where God, he has been relational for all eternity past with all the other members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in relation with one another. Uh, We, too, we will be eternally relational with one another between us humans and with God. We will be that way for all eternity. It just fits. And so we saw some of that yesterday, and now I want to look at, um, I want to further this topic looking at things that just fit, and I want to look at a number, an extraordinary number, the number three. Now, <laughs> now, how can a number be extraordinary? That is a tall task. How do you make a number uh, interesting? Mathematicians, they probably don't need much convincing, uh, but let's see if I can retain the audience and convince you guys that the number three is extraordinarily fascinating. And so to do so, I want to look at the number three in the Bible. God, God exists as three persons in one Godhead whom we refer to as the Trinity. Thus, human beings, we are made in his image and his likeness, and we also have a triune nature. The cosmos itself is understood in threes, in the most fantastic ways. Before considering this, however, first, let's see the Bible's extraordinary use of the number three. Christ, Jesus Christ, he was in the tomb for three days and three nights, which Jonah's three days in the whales in the whale foreshadowed. Uh, for Matthew chapter twelve, we read, "But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish." so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We also see John 2.19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Three, three days. We also see foreshadowing of three days and three nights in the story of Abraham when he spent three days thinking that he would sacrifice his his son on that same hill called Golgotha and Mount Moriah. We see that in uh, Genesis 22 and in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 1. And so if you recall, God, he told Abraham, you know, go and sacrifice your son on Mount Moriah. And that is where 
Christ was sacrificed on that same mountain. And we've been through the unbelievable parallels between those two stories on this show. The similarities between the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac on Mount Moriah and the Lord sacrificing his son Jesus Christ on Mount Moriah, the similarities will send chills down your spine. But so, uh, regardless, Genesis 22, verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So God said, Abraham, you have to sacrifice your son Isaac. And then he was thinking about that. And then on the third day, then uh, they went up the mountain. And now, of course, this foreshadowed Christ. Uh, We also see Israel has three patriarchs. The three patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We also see that the priestly tribe of Levi is from Jacob's third child. And we see that in Genesis 29, 34. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Interestingly enough, Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. And the day the law was given, the sons of Levi killed about 3,000 men, whereas the day of the Spirit was given that day, about 3,000 souls were saved. And if you are curious on that, check out Exodus 32, 28, uh, Acts 2, 41, and see 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Uh, The Hebrew scriptures, they are uh, composed of three sections. We see the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's mentioned in Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. God, he created three archangels. The most noteworthy women are Eve, Sarah, and Mary. Uh, The Magi brought forth gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's three gifts. Uh, Three persons, one being Jesus, started their public service at age 30. Joseph, he was a deliverer of his people. people. David, he was seated on the messianic throne at 30. And Jesus himself, he began his ministry at about 30 years of age. We can see, uh, we can see Joseph in Genesis 41, 46, uh, which says, let me pull this up on my Uh, Bible here, Uh, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And then we also see David in 2 Samuel 5, verse 4. Uh, We see David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. And we know that he he was on the messianic throne. We can see 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We also see that uh, Jesus himself, he began his ministry at age 30. We see that in Luke 3.23. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. And so three people began their ministry at the age of 30. 
Um, God, he could have led Esther to, to fast for two days or for four. He could have kept Jonah in the whale for one day or for a week. Uh, but three days and three nights foreshadows God's plan of salvation for Christ's time in the grave. For Jesus rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, that's 1 Corinthians 5, 4, and thus the triune God, the triune Christian God, the mystery of the Trinity, the three persons in one God, is the one God whose testimony we can trust, having imprinted our himself in our world and even ourselves within his triune nature. Uh, by the way, the Trinity can very uh, completely and very well solve uh, Euthyphro's dilemma. See kgov.com slash Euthyphro for that. Good luck spelling Euthyphro, by the way. Uh, but if you're interested in Euthyphro's dilemma and what is the Christian solution to that, it is found in the Trinity. And so we see the number three in the Bible. Uh, we also see the number three pretty much everywhere that we look in the universe, in the cosmos. And so because we see the number three in the Bible, because it's manifested in Scripture, uh, that can turn our attention as Christians outward to see space. Space exists in three dimensions, in height, width, and length, as does time. Time exists past, present, and future. Uh, the electromagnetic force operates in positive, negative, and neutral. In pigment, there are three primary colors. There are red, yellow, and blue, whereas in light, there are three red, green, and blue, uh, which be uh, they blend together into the hues of the rainbow. Uh, we humans, we are on the third planet from the sun. We see matter existing in three states, in solid, liquid, and gas. And, you know, engineers, they know that the strongest shape for a building is a triangle that has three sides. Writers, they are often taught to give three examples of a point. Uh, artists, they group uh, in threes in interior design and sculpting. And even movie directors, movie directors have trilogies, which is parts one, two, and three. And we have a word for that, a word for trilogy, when we don't have a word for any other number of films. Photographers, they use the rule of thirds. If you are, you know, just, just even an entry-level photographer, you know about the rule of thirds. The language of DNA only uses three-letter words. We see that man is triune in that we are body, soul, and spirit, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.22, or 23, I apologize. And of course, we are made in his image and his likeness. That's Genesis 1.26. Everything reinforces the, the triune aspect of all of existence. All of existence is a reflection of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The triune nature is everywhere. God is seen in everything. Have you ever noticed how someone's person personality, it bleeds through into their work, especially with artists? If there's a very good artist, often uh, the more of their personality that comes through into their work, you know, take like NF, for example, typically the better of an artist they will be and the more well-received they will be. The same is true with God. And when he worked to create the universe, we can see him, we can see him in the reflection of his work. We can see him in his 
creation. And now my words perhaps are not the most eloquent ever spoken, and so I can turn to the Apostle Paul to make my point for me. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. God is clearly seen in his creation, even the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a triune God who makes himself clearly seen it just fits. Hey, that's going to do it for me here today. I'm out of time. If you enjoyed this show and want to help out, consider going to kgov.com, getting something from the store, making a donation, whatever it is, uh, that goes such a long way to helping us out. Uh, also, if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, liking this video, sharing, commenting, all that stuff on YouTube, it's free to do and it helps us out so much. I would really appreciate that. If you want more content on the Trinity, make sure to check out kgov.com slash Trinity. Hey, may the Lord bless you and may he make his face to shine upon you.